Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, we thought that'd be a fun little video to get us going this morning, just to remind ourselves that we are in a world that fights and is really on the battle to make sure that we have equality, that we've got seniors diving off of giant bridges there, and we've got dads puking, changing dirty diapers, and all kinds of... This is not a video you would have seen 15, 20 years ago, right? We would have had very different people in in those roles. And our world has figured out, hey, things are not always equal. Things are always not the way that it should have been. So now we are are aggressively making sure that we're taking steps to bring equality into our world. And we're in this Christmas series that we're celebrating Canada 150, the last month that we get to celebrate Canada 150. I, I ha- have a feeling we will not celebrate Canada 151 as hard as we celebrated Canada 150. And we're looking, we're looking at diversity, equality, freedom, and opportunity, and how we experience that as a country, but also how we experience that through our faith in Christ and the message of Christmas that's presented to us about freedom, equality, diversity, and opportunity. And a video like that is really a response to a world that many of us grew up in that had some horribly offensive terms and, and, and gender roles and racial roles and things like that, that we would, we would label and stereotype people of different ethnicities, faiths, physical abilities, intellectual abilities. Many of you have names and words going through your head right now thinking words that you would never speak again, but words you heard growing up in different communities, and we've learned how damaging labels can be. My favorite one, is, I say favorite, but one of my favorite ones is how when I grew up, there was anybody that was an Aboriginal person in Canada, we called them Indians, right? And do we know where that word comes from, where we started labeling people? Because when the European explorers first showed up in North America, they thought it was India. <laughs> we've landed in India. These people must be Indians, and we called them Indians. And then for hundreds of years, we came with that term of ignorance, really, of European ignorance is what it was, and it, and it traveled forward. And then I've met many Indians, and they're very different than Aboriginal people. And there's a whole different culture, and it's a whole different continent. It's probably the furthest away, Aboriginal Canadians are probably the furthest away you could get from Indian geographically. And you go, well, how have we blended that all together? Well, it's because we grew up with terms and labels and groups of people saying, oh, we're okay, as long as it works for us, we can stereotype people in a certain way. Now, it's truly amazing the opportunity that we are afforded living in the, not only in this country, but in the region of this country where we, where, we are, where we are given the benefit and seeing different cultures and seeing different abilities all, all celebrated and kind of blended together. And as, as we're in this series, we want to recognize, hey, this is a worthy fight for sure because there are big gaps in equality and the way that we view different, um, different kinds of uh, ethnicities, genders, abilities, and things. And this morning, we're going to participate in something we call the privilege walk exercise. Has anybody participated in that in, in, their, in their work? or in it? We've had a few people. And you may have seen a video like this. You may have participated in it. And we recognize that this can be a little bit emotional for some people. So this morning, 
just so, just so we're all on the same page, the point of this is to highlight discrepancies that we see in privilege in our Canadian context here in the GTA and realize that each of us start our days. We start our, our work days, we start our days in our communities, we start our days even in our families sometimes at different places. Some of us feel like we're starting way ahead Some of us may not realize we're starting way ahead. Some of us are starting a little bit further behind and we're having to make up for the the discrepancy in equality and privilege that we face every day. We will debrief the exercise a little bit when we're finished and I just want us to all, all remember that what we're doing here, we're doing a representation about how different groups, different genders, different experiences have uh, f- feel that they may be f- a little bit further ahead or a little bit further behind. So I've, I've spoken with a few individuals and asked if they would feel comfortable participating in this. And some said, oh, I'm not so sure. Some, okay, I will participate. So I want you to uh, welcome to the stage. We have, uh, f- I believe, five different individuals here today. We've got, uh, so come on up if I've spoken to you. We've got Lee and Leslie and uh, Fatty and Danielle and Juliana and is Jesse is not here this morning. So why don't you welcome to the stage these five individuals. And they're going to participate in the privilege rock exercise for me. So guys, we'll, need, we'll put you in line right here and uh, fa- let's face this way. So get in the line this way. Yep. Yep. This way. And you can come off the stage. It, it's okay. Yeah. There's a privilege. You're already one step down, Lee. No. <laughs> so Leslie, why don't you come one step, one step this way too. And so the exercise will be this. I'm going to read a statement and if these individuals identify with that statement, then they're either, I'm going to encourage them to take one step forward or one step backwards. And so they're going to represent different, uh, different people groups and different experiences this morning for us. And, um, and we'll just see where they end up. And if you're about to back into a tree, then you may want to take a step to the left okay? <laughs> or something like that. All right. So if you would describe your primary, primary ethnic identity as Canadian, please take one step forward. Danielle's really, uh, she wants to get as far as she can. (laughs) Just kidding, it's all right. If you were ever called a name because of your race, your class, your ethnicity, or your gender, please take one step backwards. If you were ever ashamed or embarrassed of your clothes, your house, your car, or something about what you had, please take one step backwards. If one or both of your parents were professionals, like a doctor or a lawyer or a business person, please take one step forward. If you ever tried to hide or change your appearance, your mannerisms, or your behavior to avoid being judged or ridiculed, take one step backwards. If you went to school speaking a language other than your first language, please take one step backwards. If you ever had to skip a meal or were hungry because there was not enough money to buy food when you were growing up, please take one step backwards. If one of your parents was ever unemployed or laid off, not by choice, please step backwards. If your family ever had to move because they were not able to afford rent or mortgage, please take one step back. If you were raised in a single-parent house, please step one step backwards. If you've seen members of your race, ethnic group, gender, or sexual orientation portrayed on television in a degrading role, take one step back. If you were ever offered a good job because of your association with a friend or family member, take one step forward. 
If you were paid less, treated less fairly because of race, ethnicity, gender, or one step back, uh, or gender, please take one step back. If you were ever uncomfortable about a joke that related to your race, ethnicity, or gender, but felt unsafe to confront the situation, take one step backwards. And if your parents attended a post-secondary school, take one step forward. So we've got, first, without these five individuals moving, can we thank them very much? That's a very difficult exercise to take part in. And you guys can turn. Now, these are, this is by far not an exhaustive exercise. We've only done 15 steps. So let's take a look at this. We've got, and this is to know, the interesting thing is that Nobody here, this was none of their own doing, right? This was either something that their parents had done or our society had done. So this is of no fault or no credit to anyone up here. But we've got Lee over here on the far side feeling, starting every day this far, feeling that much more confidence or having that many more benefits. Now, we, we would think, hey, the, the GTA, what a, what a wonderfully diverse and equal opportunity area of the world we live in. And in 15 simple questions, we separated Juliana and Lee, by that much, and we've got Fatty, Danielle, and Leslie here in the middle. And if we really extrapolated that, one step may not be fair for each one of those statements. But if we all participated in this exercise, it would be unbelievable where the hundred of us would be, and we start every day feeling that, we start every day living that, and we have different benefits, we have different privileges, or we start with different <laughs> challenges that we may not recognize every day. And the point is not to highlight one is great and one is, one is great and one is not so great. It's because none, nobody here did anything to put themselves anywhere here. This was what was given to us based on where we were born, who our parents were, and what our family has brought, or what, what our culture has brought into our lives. Can we thank everybody for participating in that? Thank you so much, guys. So we did that. I want you to just, for a moment, consider, maybe even write down, how you feel about the equalities or inequalities that either yourselves or your friends, your f- people that you go to church with, think about how you feel about that, that we're dealing with that in our country, in our region, every day. You know, I feel very blessed to live in a nation that recognizes this, that we, it's a safe space in here that we can get together and we can say, yeah, we, we recognize that not everything is equal and we are battling towards equality. And some areas we're finding victory in that. There are some areas where we have to recognize we are still struggling with this. But, you know, I even feel more blessed to know Jesus, whose birth was one swift blow into the battle of equality for each one of us. And what we're going to do this morning is look at the Christmas story, and it demonstrates that while there are still issues of equality in our workplaces, there are issues of equality in our societies, there is literally no barrier for any one of us who would present ourselves to be put in Christ's story. And last week, we looked at the story of diversity, and we said, you know, each one of us has something different that we bring, something that we represent, and we may look at our lives and we would say, I'm not uniquely, (laughs) I I don't feel like I have unique value, I don't feel like I have any significance, but we saw when we laid our piece into the greater story that Christ was making in the greater story of Christmas, well, we get this beautiful mosaic when we put that all together. And today what we're going to see is that that we've all been made equal, and it doesn't matter where we've come from or what we bring, that we are brought into that story as well. 
Now, the manger scene is a very comfortable image for us at Christmas. Gabe, why don't you, why don't you throw that picture up? This is, this is very typical of what many of us would have on our fireplaces at home, or, or we've got them laid out on the front yard or something. We, we would see this scene, and we would go, oh, yes, this is what the first Christmas looked like. And when we do lots of studies, we recognize, no, this is not what the first Christmas looked like. People, the wise men who are over there on the right-hand side, there was not three of them. There was a group of, of astrologers that came two years after, or sometime within two years after the birth of Christ. They were not there when Jesus was born. They were probably not in that home anymore. They had been following a star. And we did have some shepherds that came in on, on the first night, but they weren't to this, they weren't necessarily in a stable. We're going to look at what kind of house that they were actually in. This is the scene we see. What I want to depict for us is that there was a group of people just as diverse as what was demonstrated on this stage who came from different standings in life, who felt they had different privileges, felt they had different strikes against them. And in one swift move, God comes and sends Jesus and goes, but watch this. We're all brought together. This is why we depict the manger this way, because this is the picture that he was trying to paint for us. And that's what we're going to spend your time on this morning. So if you're taking notes or filling in blanks, just grab a pen or uh, take out your device and you can type it in. Is that equality? This is through the Christmas story. We figure this out. Equality is a right. Equality is not a privilege. It's not something that's afforded to some people. This is our right. Let's look at the story of Mary and Joseph. We, we went into their story briefly last week. We we've said Mary was probably a 12-year-old girl who becomes pregnant during her time of pre-engagement to Joseph, meaning if, if you weren't here last week, we were, we were saying that in this culture, there would have been arranged to be married, and she would have been given in marriage when she was able to have kids. When she had fully entered puberty, that's when they would have been married. So they were pre-engaged, so she was pre-puberty, probably about 12 years old, and she becomes pregnant. If not, she already would have been married to Joseph. And by law, at this point, she could have been stoned to death. And at very least, this was good reason for her fiancé Joseph to break off the marriage. If not kill her culturally, he at least should have said, I don't think I want to be associated with you. This is going to go very poorly for me for the rest of my life. So Joseph is this disgraced man, and he hears from God in a dream. He says, no, this is part of my plan. I'm, I, I'm actually, I've made Mary pregnant. It's been through the Holy Spirit, and you've got to trust me on this. And so Joseph's weighing this decision, and at the time, there's this census that's been called for all of their country, and they said, everybody, you have to go to wherever you were born and travel and go there and check in because the Romans wanted to take account for how many Jews there were because the Romans had control of, of Israel and Judah. And uh, he said, we're, you all have to go and you all have to check in because we want to take a good census. And Joseph's trying to figure out do I even, am I going to stay with my fiance? Is my life going to be ruined? And now I've got to go on this 100 kilometer journey by foot. Now, only men were called to be a part of the census. Women wouldn't have been called to go. And, there's, and so why is Mary there <laughs> during, this, during this 100 kilometer trek? He may have been trying to care for her. He may have been trying to protect her. At some point, Joseph figured out, I need to bring Mary along with me because most of the other women would not have gone on the census. They would have stayed at home. There was no point for her to walk 100 kilometers while pregnant with the donkey. It's probably because her safety was at risk. So they take this, they're, they're in the north, they're, they're up in the, uh, the region of Nazareth and they go 100 kilometers on a donkey down towards Jerusalem. In fact, it's just a little bit south of Jerusalem where Bethlehem is, and they show up in what's called the city of David, Bethlehem. So they're ashamed, they're tired. She's very pregnant. She's 
moments away from giving birth, and they're completely unsure of how they're going to be received because he, remember, he's born in Bethlehem. He's a descendant in Bethlehem. So his family is there, and now he's got to see his family. They wouldn't have sent emails. They wouldn't have known that he's engaged to a pregnant girl. So how do you think he's going to be received when he shows up in Bethlehem? And we read the Christmas story, and it says there's no room for him at the inn. So let's look at the word inn. It's not a commercial inn. The word inn is a description of the prophet's room. In every Jewish home, there was an extra room, a guest room, and it was called the prophet's room. And the reason why that was there is because if there was ever a prophet or a teacher that was traveling through town, everyone wanted to host that prophet. And there was, it was the inn, it was the prophet's room, and you would say, well, come stay with me for a few days. And this is why when Jesus went from town to town and he stayed in people's homes, this is the room that he would have he stayed in. And as well, if you had family visiting, obviously you could put them in their room. So they went around and there was no room for them in these, in these prophet's rooms, in the inns, because everyone had already been there coming for the census. And the Greek word is um, kataluma, and we'll also see that in Luke 22. You remember when Jesus is preparing for Passover? He says, he says, uh, he sends his disciples ahead and says, go find a room that we can have the uh, Passover meal with. That's the same room, kataluma. And all of these rooms were taken up. So what would be the next logical choice? Where would Mary and Joseph stay? Well, they could have gone to an actual hotel. Maybe we, we know if we know the whole Christmas story, Elizabeth, her cousin, she was close enough that they could have communication. She was just off in the hill country, just outside of Jerusalem. They obviously could have gone there. So why, why are they staying in this, in this other room? Or why is the birth going to take place in the manger? Well, Joseph would have gone to somebody in his family. His roots, his ancestors are there in Bethlehem. And what would have happened in the story, somebody would have seen Joseph and Mary and said, you know what? We don't have room in our inn. We're going to make room for you in our, in our general room. And they, they were staying with family. They were staying with friends. And they're not going to have a baby in the middle of the family room. <laughs> like, if you, have people, if you have people coming to your house, how many like it, hosting their family at Christmas? Yeah, a few of us like that. A few of us do that. And now how many like, how many like hosting visitors or family members that you don't know very well? <laughs> not very many. How many like visit, uh, hosting family members you don't know very well who have weird stories about the God making them pregnant and they're being disgraced? Nobody does. But somebody... <laughs> In this town goes, you know what? I'm taking the risk. I'm believing enough. I'm treating somebody who is disgraced. I'm treating somebody who doesn't have any place to stay, and I'm bringing them into my home. And so the birth of Christ takes place out back where the animals would have been, yes, because you're not going to have a baby in the middle of the living room. But every human being that we meet, we need to remember they are a descendant of Christ Jesus. They are made in his image. They are a highly favored child of God. And somebody in this town said, I don't care that this person is disgraced. I don't care that this person, in most people's minds, remember, they don't believe that this is God's son. They believe this is a 12-year-old girl that got pregnant while she was engaged. And they said, I'm taking you in anyway, and you can stay in my home because you have value, because you're family. And each one of us was created with love, intentionally, with purpose, And this family took this on, made life more difficult for themselves so that this stranger who is a family member, a distant family member, would have a place to live. 
It's a beautiful picture that the narrative of Christmas is, is that we treat others as equal regardless of their life, regardless of where they've come. Maybe even more than equals when everyone else would have judged them and judged their morals and judged their motives. You know, I think sometimes we struggle with both of these. We can, we can vacillate between judging and being judged. Last week, we looked at diversity, and we love that we're in a country where we have people of different cultures and ethnicities and, and stances in life living together in different backgrounds and abilities and education. But still in this culture, we have a penchant to segregate. And we have a danger of, of maintaining our prejudices against different groups of people based on any one of these issues because we, we feel like... That's the way they are. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that I can, I, can, I can put myself out. I'm not sure that I could sacrifice my own self for somebody else. And we demonstrated this this morning, that we're equal, but we often don't experience the feeling of equality. We recognize we are equal, but we fight and we wrestle with feeling the same kind of equality. The Christmas story reminds us that each one of us is to go out of our way to give not the privilege of equality, to give the right of equality to every individual we meet in our communities, regardless of faith, regardless of whether we believe they've made the right choices, regardless of, regardless if they feel like they could be completely lying about their story. Somebody in this town said, I'll take you in and I'll show you the same kind of love that Jesus was going to demonstrate when he was born and called us to that same way. Reverend Charles Bayard Milken said it this way, it is the way that one treats his inferiors more than the way that he treats his equals which reveals one's real character. The way that we treat people who, when we first see them, we say, we're not equal. I've got something more to offer. The way that we treat that person is our real character. The way that we demonstrate true love. And we rub shoulders day to day with people. We may share the same neighborhoods, but we may not feel equal for whatever reason, whether it's we feel like, hey, our faith is different. Hey, our socioeconomic status is different. Hey, the way we live our lives is different. For whatever reason that we feel this difference in equality, we cannot let this season of Christmas pass without communicating the right of equality to another person who may not be feeling it for one or another reason in our community. Let's look at others in the story. Let's go back, let's go back to, the, to the image of the manger we have there. There's the, or I, I don't think we have the image there. Sorry, Gabe. We have, we have the Romans. Now, why would God wait in the Christmas story? Why would God wait until the governor Quirinius, we hear his name when we read the Christmas story, why would he wait for that census to be called to have Jesus be born? Sure, it got Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, and it fulfilled the promise that the Messiah would be born from a small northern region of Nazareth, as well as being born in the city of David, because those were prophecies that had to take place. But there would have been other ways to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, for he, he is God. But God intricately involves the Romans in the birth, the life, and the death, the whole story of Jesus. He wants the Romans a part of this. Rome was the dominant culture in the world. It was the most advanced culture in the world up to that point. They, they had never been replicated for thousands of years since that. We have this, we have this uh, culture of the Roman road system. I don't know if you're a history buff, but when you study the nation of Rome, they created communication and travel and advancement that none other, um, that none other culture had up to that point. And then following the fall of the Roman Empire, nobody was able to replicate it right up until the Industrial Revolution and the modern age. They were educated, they were communicative, they were artistic, and they were powerful. And Jesus 
comes into that scene. God specifically chose to involve a, a secular culture that had no interest in God to communicate the message of salvation. I want you to think, would, would the message of Christ have gone into all of the world if Rome had not been a part of this? Not a chance. In 316 AD, when, 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 Rome, when Rome makes Christianity the dominant religion, it begins to go through all of the world because it's, it's tra- people are able to travel. It goes with, the, uh, goes with the centurions, the army. God had a plan for using a, a, a secular culture segre- separate from the story of, of the Jews and Jesus. And there are people we recognize that will be joining our church or joining our stories throughout the Christmas season, and they have no interest in Christ. They have no reason to believe in God. But we should never forget that God has a specific plan and purpose for everyone's involvement in this story. God has a plan for their involvement in your life, in our church, in relationship with God. God had a plan for the Roman centurions who were killing people. He said, I'm going to use you to share my message, and I have a plan for you, and I want to draw people, Romans, to me. Remember in Matthew 27 and 54, there had only been one other person who had ever said, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that was Peter. He did it first. You know who the second person was? A Roman centurion who was there to kill him. In Matthew 27 and 54, he goes, surely this was the son of God. It's a Roman. God chose the secular culture to bring or to, to give the message. And he also chose to involve the people outside of this culture in his story. We've got the shepherds as well in this equal picture. They, they, they were the first ones who were specifically told about Jesus being born. And in this society, the shepherds were the last ones that would have been told about anything. If you go back to David, King David's story, remember when, when the prophet comes and, and says, bring all your kids out because I'm going to anoint one of them as king. He brings all his kids out except for who? David. Why? Because David was a shepherd and David was the youngest. And they go, well, the shepherds don't get told about anything. They care for the sheep. So they're out in the field. They would be the last to know about everything. They were even overlooked in that society. That We see that in 1 Samuel 16 and 11. But God had plans to include this group of people in his story. And in fact, this specific group of shepherds, these were the ones that worked just outside of Jerusalem on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is only a few kilometers outside of Jerusalem, just to the, just to the south part. And they would have been working in this field under the Tower of Migdal, which is called the Watchtower. And these were the lambs that were raised specifically to be given as sacrifices every year for the sins of the people. So they were known as the Holy Lambs that were going to be raised as sacrifices for all the people of Jerusalem. This is the group of shepherds that the angels come to and say, I want to call you into coming and see who, who Jesus was. God had planned for the people who didn't feel like they measured up to have the same worth to be, because they're the ones that got to share the story first. I love this piece as well. Let's go to the, let's go to the, um, the wise men, the magi. These were, again, they were not Jewish people, probably. They were Gentiles somewhere from further east. They might have been from the south. Um, they, they had no knowledge of who Jehovah was, who we would call our Lord. But God had always planned for them to be part of the story. If you go way back to Isaiah, this is like a thousand years before Jesus is born. This is one of the cornerstone prophecies of the birth of Jesus, Isaiah 60, verse 6. And they say, all from Sheba, so this is Africa, probably Ethiopia, will come bearing gold and incense pro- 
claiming the praise of the Lord. These are the wise men that showed up the day, or a few years after Jesus was born, they had been following the star and recognizing that something significant was happening. God had plans for people who didn't grow up in faith to be an integral part of the faith story that would be celebrated for thousands of years. We're gonna, this is the story we retell year after year, and God said, I plan for the Romans who are actually persecuting the Jews. I have plans for the Egyptians or for those from the Far East who are just kind of looking for what is happening. Is, 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 is God coming? He had plans for the Jews. He had plans for the despised. He brings everybody together, and he says, we're all going to be equal, and we're all going to be brought into this moment of worship. And he says, none of us should consider that a privilege. All of us can, should consider it our right to be equal as God. That's the act. That's what Christmas communicates to us. So what's our walkaway point this morning? Is that equality then is a cause. It's not just a conviction. And we say it this way because I don't think anybody in our society could logically look at another human being and say, we're not equal. And none of us could say, well, you know, I should have more rights than you should have. We've moved past that as a society. And we, we hear that pop up every once in a while, and an educated society would go, no, we're way beyond that. We have that conviction. But equality is a cause. God had always felt that way. God created all of us equal, and yet there was this discrepancy. And still in our world, we recognize that there's still a discrepancy. So why do we call it a cause? Because you've got to do something about it. Jesus steps into that world and says, it's not okay that there are people that don't feel the same kind of love. And you and I have a challenge to communicate communicate Christ's message of equality to a world that struggles to find it every day. You may start tomorrow at, at the front of Canadian society over here and go, I feel like I have some advantages. Our message is to go, Christ loves us all to this level and we all deserve to be at this place of advantage. We may start tomorrow at, back here feeling like at, of, our, of, of our society. We may feel like I have further to go in our society. We need to be reminded I don't have to take any step to be made equal with Christ. We will interact with people on every level and the amazing message of hope in Christ is that regardless of where you feel you start in society, it is one step to equality with where he is. It's a moving target. If we start here, equality is one step. If we start over here, equality is one step with Christ because he did it for all of us. And what does Christ's love look like? Well, James, the brother of Jesus, he said it best, James 2 and 14. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. If we believe that to be true and we do nothing about it, then our faith is dead. What does it look like then? It looks like opening up our home for a meal with a neighbor that might not be invited into a home over the Christmas season because they don't even celebrate Christmas. <laughs> like we recognize this, right? Like 50% of our community isn't going to celebrate Christmas. Does that mean that they don't deserve to have somebody love them and care for them and cook them a meal and celebrate something with them? Absolutely not. Jesus looked at the Romans and said, come on into my story. Jesus looked at the wise men and said, I'm going to align the planets and the stars so you can journey for two years to get there and recognize that I love you so much. He changed his world. People change their lives so that other people would experience that love. It looks like advocating for people who don't live like you live, who don't believe like you believe. 
How will people who don't know Christ ever respond to the message of Christ until they see his love demonstrated in action? They won't because they won't hear it until we make it a cause more than just something we believe. The story of Christmas is this. God went out of his way to communicate love and equality to people who didn't regularly experience it. You and I are to carry that forward. Communicate love and equality to people who may not experience that tomorrow. And a fulfilled life with Jesus is this amazing life. You don't need to worry about your purpose. Like, where am I? You don't need to worry about it. Jesus says, your purpose is to serve me. I've got your future plan. You don't have to worry about death. You don't have to worry about challenges. You might feel the pain of it, but you don't need to worry about it because I've got that all covered. It moves every one of us closer simply by one step of faith. And it's an amazing reminder this Christmas season that God made equality so easy for each one of us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, I, I, I pray that we take this message and we take this theme that we're picking up over the Christmas season and we make it more than a conviction. We make it our cause. Lord, I thank you for the One Hope concert tonight, the Christmas party we're having on Wednesday, our Christmas Eve services. Lord, help us to bring someone to one of those who may not know how much you love them. Lord, if they won't come to that, help us just to have them into their home. Lord, I pray for open hearts and open minds. Lord, for people sitting in this service right now who never knew that you love them so much that it didn't matter where they started, how long they took to get there, how their life looked, that you've brought us all together. Lord, I pray that we would feel this message of love and equality. We would live it every day, Lord. Holy Spirit, thank you for your sweet, soft presence that we feel when we get in a room and we focus in on you and we tune out distractions of our world. God, I pray that we would walk out of this place resolute, ready to do something different, Lord, ready to communicate that kind of love. God, I pray that we would walk out feeling that we're on equal stance with anyone else that would ever believe in you, Lord. Jesus, for those who are sitting here this morning that feel like their life doesn't measure up, that there's, there's a reason that they, can't, that they can't receive that same kind of equal love. In the name of Jesus, we just ask for wholeness, God. We ask for peace because there is no guilt and there's no being condemned with anyone that's been made in Christ Jesus. So we thank you, Lord. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.